Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Sunday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com as I record this episode. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention that again that we are having a sale on my website. From now until Christmas, all my books will be on sale. Just enter the discount code ELF20 to get 20% off your order and domestic shipping is free. Now, any one of my books will make a great gift for the leader or future leader in your life. So head on over to johnsrenny.com and get your books before the Christmas rush. If you're looking to support what I do on the show, purchase one of my books or visit my sponsors, bottomguncoffee.com and ihavethewatch.com. Both use the discount code deep at checkout. Well, that's it. Today, my guest is Ken Falk. Ken is someone who has taken his military experience and turned it into an amazing civilian career. He retired as a Navy Master Chief bomb specialist, and he became an entrepreneur. He started two companies and two nonprofit organizations. In his spare time, he became a best-selling author. Well, now he has a new book coming out called Lead Well, where he provides insights from more than four decades as a leader. I know you're going to really enjoy this discussion. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ken Falk. Ken spent 21 years in the U.S. Navy as a bomb disposal specialist. After retiring from the Navy, Ken became an entrepreneur. He founded and exited two businesses, then later created two nonprofit organizations. He currently serves as chairman for the Boulder Crest Foundation, a nonprofit organization focused on supporting combat veterans and their families, as well as first responders. He's also the author of a new upcoming book called Lead Well, 10 Steps to Successful and Sustainable Leadership. In this book, Ken introduces 10 principles that you need to become a more impactful leader. 
It's packed with Ken's insights from more than four decades of business, nonprofit, and military leadership. So I'm honored to have him on the show to talk about it. So, Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> well, it's good to meet you, and uh, it's good to um, get you on the show to talk about this new book. And um, uh, as we touched on a little bit earlier, uh, I think a lot of the thinking that you have on leadership is very similar to my own. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to dive into it. But before we get into the book and some of the things you're working on now, but Tell us a little bit about your uh, your military experience because it's, it's fairly unique. Uh, and then, how did that time in the Navy really establish like a foundation of leadership that's kind of led to the rest of your career post Navy? Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, for saying that. I, you know, um, I think you know, like we were talking before the, the the podcast a little bit, is it? You know, one of the things I think the military does for us is it exposes us to, you know, some of the great leaders in the world and, and, and some of the, the, the horrible ones. And, um, and it definitely helped, you know, shaped obviously where I'm at today. But if I go back, you know, a little ways, I, um, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of had this kind of vision of leadership, you know, for a long time. I, you know, I, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and my, you know, grandfather, my dad, CEOs of companies and watched, Watched them closely. I had a great father who, you know, just did a great job of outlining, you know, what life is about and, you know, kind of getting me going in the right direction. Uh, in the end of my high school years, I became, you know, captain of a, of a hockey team, a very successful traveling hockey team. Uh, left high school to play professional hockey. Uh, that didn't work out for me, but I, uh, again, you know, had a great year prior to joining the Navy, you know, working for a, you know, semi-professional hockey team and, and, um, and, and working in a, in an ice rink down in Arlington, Texas for a year. Uh, but then I joined the Navy, you know, I joined the Navy to be a SEAL, uh, failed the eye test and ended up, um, my first tour, I won't go into all the details, but ended up my first tour in the Navy, uh, about 18 months in the, uh, U.S. Navy ceremonial guard, uh, mm. back here in the Washington DC area where yeah. I actually grew up. Um, I thought, you know, um, it was a great opportunity to get exposed to, you know, some really high level things in the Navy. We, we did all the funerals in Arlington Cemetery. We did all the high level White House ceremonies. And uh, and it was it was a really interesting thing. I, I didn't think I would stay in the Navy. Actually, I really had this dream to be in the special forces. And I thought I had joined for three years and uh, what they used to call a three by three, three years active in reserve. And I was going to get out after three years and go join the Army Special Forces, which didn't have the same same uh, vision requirements as the SEAL teams at the time. Uh, but I, I ended up being on duty one night and it was it happened to be the night that the Air Florida Flight 90 uh, airplane hit the 14th Street Bridge here in D.C. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was the duty leading petty officer, the duty section. And we ended up on these tugboats and you know, working in the Potomac River. And about midnight that night, this little dive boat came chugging up the river. And the EOD school, the bomb disposal school, used to be down in Indian Head, Maryland, which was about 30 miles south of D.C. And I ended up on that boat probably around midnight that night, doing nothing more than making coffee for divers. And I had always been fascinated, you know, by diving. That was what I wanted to do. And one of the chiefs on the boat, you know, liked my work ethic. And I ended up telling him my story about the SEAL team failure. And, and he said, well, you know, EOD doesn't have that, that vision requirement. Why don't you try out for EOD? And that's what I did. And I really spent the next, 
you know, 19 and a half years of my career um, doing EOD stuff, bomb disposal stuff. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting how, um, you know, I've had a number of guests on the show where they talk about this one influence where they meet somebody and it sort of changes, you know, the tra- trajectory of their career or trajectory of their path. And, and it's just that one that one influence that you say, wow, I didn't know that was possible. And next thing you know, you're moving in that direction. So, uh, yeah, so 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 EOD became a, a way for you to kind of get into some more, I would say, more exotic operations than uh, work in the honor guard, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... Um... You know, I just want to say before I go any further, EOD is explosive ordnance disposal, which is what we call bomb disposal in the military. Some of the listeners may not know that acronym. Um, you know, that chief, uh, funny enough, that chief that uh, that recruited me into EOD became a mentor of mine throughout my entire mm-hmm. career. He passed away recently. Uh, cancer um, ate him up. Uh, but but man, I tell you, the guy, everything I talk about in this book was was really the epitome of 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 that guy. And, um, mm. and, and you're right. He did. He changed my, changed my career path, changed my life and, uh, and really put me on a, on a, on a, on a great course. That's really good to hear. You know, I always say that uh, we, as leaders, we make ripples in the water and, and it spreads from where we hit the water and, and it does af- impact people's lives. And, you know, I think the best leaders think about that. And uh, the, the ones who aren't thinking about that are just focused on the, you know, the short-term results or what have you, but I think great leaders are thinking about the impact they're making in others, other lives. So you know, sounds like, uh, sounds like your mentor did as well. Well, it's funny you say that uh, analogy because in the book, I actually write about, I had a British, I did a two-year exchange tour with the Royal Navy, uh, clearance divers. And one of the chiefs there used to always say, uh, you know, all oh, this Navy stuff. He was, he was a miserable guy. It was, he used to give this analogy of put your hand in a bucket of water and pull it out. And, you know, within seconds, nobody will know you were ever there. And, and I said to him one day, I said, I just don't think that's true. I, I, I think our ripples just go and go and go. And, and the people that you impact really do um, remember you. I mean, at one point in my career, I was a master chief. My last tour of the Navy, I was at a headquarters unit out in San Diego. Every commanding officer of every EOD unit we had, East Coast and West Coast, were students of mine as young officers. Oh, wow. wow. And, and you know, I think I, I left a pretty positive, you know, influence on, on them. And, and, and to this day, many of them I'm still friends with. And, it's, um, and that's the impact I think you can have that just lasts forever. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. That's great. So you, um, you left the Navy, and a lot of people... Um, you know, a lot of a lot of guys I know get out of the military, and they, they the first thing they do is they join up on a with a big company, you know, and uh, they get recruited, they go in, they make a lot of money, and they work for these big companies. You did not. You decided to start your own company. You decided to become an entrepreneur. I think we got a little bit of hint when you mentioned your dad and your grand grandfather were entrepreneurs. So why did you go down that path? I assume some of the family influence, but why didn't you decide on a big company? Why did you Why did you start something up by yourself? Well, you know, I had a couple offers from big companies, Boeing and SAIC, and they were both, you know, very lucrative offers, Uh, but they were both in places I didn't want to live, Los Angeles and Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, um, you know, I, I, I had, you know, we talk about bad leaders for a minute. I had possibly the worst leader of my career was my last Commodore in the Navy. Mm -hmm. And, um, Man, was he, he was terrible. I, I, I just, and I, I think, you know, a friend of mine had said, I, I, 
I, my goal was to stay in the Navy for 30 years. That was, we loved it. My family loved it. The kids loved moving around and going to different places. We lived literally all over the world. And, and we had just made it to the West Coast for the first time in our career. So we were going to do San Diego and Guam, and, you know, all the things that you do out there. And anyway, I just couldn't take this guy anymore. And I thought, you know, I don't know that I can spend two more years on my career with this guy. <laughs> and I decided that it was time to get out. And, um, and that was a statement that I had heard throughout my career is, you know, you'll know when it's time to get out, you'll know when it's time to retire. And I knew, and I think what I knew, and I thank that bad leader, uh, uh, thanked him many times, uh, not, not personally, but, uh, to myself, uh, for, for giving me that opportunity, because what I, what I really knew was I didn't want to work for anybody. Now, it's kind of naive because the truth is, you know, even with your own company, even as a CEO, you know, you're working for customers and you're you're working for your employees. You're never working for not working for anybody. Right. Um, And that's really what what really spearheaded it. I mean, I had my grandfather passed, but my dad was a great mentor, as I mentioned, uh, even in business and and sat down with him. He thought I was crazy. You know, I didn't have any, (laughs) any business training. But I had a profession that, you know, at the time was my specialty at the time was weapons of mass destruction. And if you remember around the 2000 time frame, it was a big threat to the United States. And there were a lot of opportunities in the government contracting world. And I thought, well, why should I go to work for SAIC and and give them, you know, my my experience? Why can't I just do it myself? And that's that's really why why I did it. Yeah, it sounds great. It sounds like a good opportunity, and you were very successful with it, and congratulations. But one of the things I noticed in looking at your career, it didn't take you too long before you started gravitating towards nonprofits and uh, helping veterans and uh, now first responders. What what was that tug towards um, helping you know uh, people, especially with uh, with trauma or have gone through some difficult times? What what kind of pulled you in that direction? Well, you know, I was here in Washington, D.C. We had we had retired from the Navy and moved back here to D.C. And, and uh, when the first EOD guy uh, lost his legs in Iraq mm. and a really close friend of mine was a sergeant major, army sergeant major over in Iraq at the time. And he knew I was in D.C. and he asked if I would go meet the family at the hospital. I get to the hospital and there was no family there. And it turns out in the first many years, probably five or six years, of, of all the wounded soldiers and sailors and airmen that were going to Walter Reed and Bethesda hospitals, uh, that the government wasn't paying for their families to travel. Oh. So that young man, you know, really left an impression on me. I had, you know, we had seen a couple guys die in training accidents in my career as a couple guys get severely injured in training accidents, but I had never seen that level of trauma, you know, the, the both legs missing and, you know, just really in, in, in bad shape. And my wife and I ended up paying for his mom. He, he was, uh, he had a mom, he had no siblings and his father was out of the picture, but we ended up paying for his mom to come to the hospital. And, you know, as a veteran of the first Gulf War, I'm thinking, well, this will be over in three months. Hopefully it'll be the first yeah. and the last EOD guy. I see, we ended up doing that like 11 more times that year. Wow. And luckily I was running this company. It was successful. We were making a lot of money and we had the money to do it, but I didn't think that it was fair for me to do it myself. And, and I started reaching out to my friends in the EOD community and said, why don't we start a nonprofit and we'll, you know, raise money from all over this community. And we did. And the EOD community is really small in the Navy and in the, in the military in general. Every service has, you know, bomb disposal personnel. And, you know, the next thing we knew, we had 
5k runs going on in Iraq and Afghanistan, helping us raise money. And we were raising a couple million dollars a year. And, and, and that's what we needed to take care of these families. And, and really that's what tugged me. But now it was taking care of those. It was after I sold and left my first company uh, that my wife and I started bringing their families out to our home here in Bluemont, Virginia, about an hour west of DC. And, uh, we, we had guests in our house almost every weekend, bar- barbecues, dinners, you know, th- those types of things. And one thing led to another. We just decided that we could do more and we needed to do more. And and we ended up donating 37 acres of our farm and we built the nation's wow. first uh, privately run, privately funded and privately run wellness center for combat veterans and their families. And and that's what I'm doing today. That's all I'm doing today is I'm the chairman of the board of, of that organization. Oh, that's fantastic. And I've been on the website and it looks like you do amazing work and, you know, you know, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that there's folks like you that can do things like that because, you know, sometimes we wonder what can we do? Uh, you know, some of us are like, what can we do to help these people that have gone through so much and that you're actually doing something and making a difference in their lives. And certainly I appreciate as a veterans, I, I certainly appreciate uh, what you're doing. So that's, that's good. It's powerful. And it's, you know, it's, and it's, you know, again, I think uh, a lot of, you know, your success in your first, you know, venture allowed for you to do some of this stuff and open open up a world to this. So, you know, it's almost this idea of put your own mask on first and you, then you can help others. And you've done that in your career, uh, it, it seems, after you left the military. So that's really a powerful example of what you can do with success is you can help others. And I think that's part of your book, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. So, <laughs> so, um, and to, talking about the book, you have a new book out and uh, it's called lead well, 10 steps to successful and sustainable leadership. First of all, I love the name because I close this podcast uh, every, every night with uh, lead well. So uh, those, those, those two words. So they, they mean a lot to me. And uh, I love the name of the book and I love what you're talking about here. So um, this is not your first book. In 2018, you wrote a book uh, uh, about uh, struggle and trauma called Struggle Well. Uh, now that was, uh, you were tackling the trauma in that case and struggles. Now you're tackling leadership. So why did you decide to talk about leadership at this time? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, um, I, f- I feel blessed in the sense that I, you know, I kind of grew up in this really good family of, of, of great leaders and people that, you know, took care of people and, um, and then had a great military career, fed this nonprofit career. And I think, you know, looking around, um, around the world and and around what's going on in the nation, I just, it just doesn't seem like leadership is something that's, that's important anymore. It's like everybody's striving to kind of climb over each other's backs and, you know, we're not defining the things that I think need to be defined, but, you know, it's, it's, there's there's thousands of books on leadership and I, and I asked myself the same thing, but I got to tell you that the truth is I've got four grandchildren now and, and, you know, I'm almost 60 years old. I, you know, hopefully got a little more time left on the earth, but I, I wrote the book for them. I mean, I, because I, I, I really, I, I hope a lot of people read it. I hope it helps people, leaders that are currently leading organizations and, and people that want to lead organizations. But what I really hope is that my grandkids will, will understand, you know, my character, my reputation. And, and, you know, my dad said to me right before he died, he said, you know, Ken, you only leave two things 
behind on this earth when you die. And he said, it's your children and your reputation. And I think your reputation is built by your character. And, and really, you know, um, as a Navy guy who was away literally for 14 of his 21 years of, of service, um, deployed for my two daughters, um, you know, I've got this opportunity to, to help my grandchildren become, you know, great kids and, and, and make all, fix all the mistakes I made with my two daughters. So, so really, I, I think at the, at the core of it, I've written the book for them. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. Deep Leadership is brought to you by the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge, extremely strong coffee, to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium, certified, organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffee.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. You know, in the book, you know, you I, I like what you talk about because if you and I mentioned this when we got started the show off. You, if you read your introduction, it reads just like my introduction of my first book. So we, you and I are thinking about the same things. But you said, and I want to quote you here. You say, despite the fact that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of books on the subject of leadership, the truth is that good leaders remain too uh, rare, or far too rare. So, you know, and you talked about it a little earlier, but why do you think it's such a rare thing to find good leadership this, these days? Is it that we're just too busy? We're looking for short-term results. People are focused on making money versus making a difference. What, what, what do you think is missing today in today's leadership? You know, I talk about, in the first chapter of the book, I talk about this whole concept of leading yourself first. And I, and I truthfully think the problem is, is there's so many people who are unwell. Mm -hmm. And 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 being unwell, you know, in the world of mental health, where I work primarily today, you know, helping men and women who have post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety and depression. Um, you know, there's a saying in the world of mental health that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And I believe I believe, you know, very strongly that people who aren't well, um, you know, just just don't lead well. And and. And, and that shows up in a lot of different ways, uh, sometimes in anger, uh, 
uh, sometimes in avoidance. I mean, just a lot of things. And, you know, go back for a minute, John, you know, my definition of leadership, I picked up from a, you know, an academic uh, class on leadership. I, I, I went the year I sold my company, I took a year off and I went and did a master's degree at Georgetown in, in public policy management. And one of the classes, you know, I took there was on leadership. And, and we read a book uh, called uh, The Cathedral Within by a guy named Bill Shore. And Shore's definition of leadership, which I've adopted, is really uh, that leaders help people get to a place that they can't get to on their own. And that's really what 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 I think. I think it's so easy to wake up in the morning and just look at the bottom line and look at the things that have to get done in your life. But, you know, when you have a lot of people working for you, if you're not helping them get to that place that they want to get to, then you know, they end up leaving. You know, they say 70% of Americans hate their jobs. Yeah. You know, the turnover rate in corporate America is unbelievable. In the military, mm-hmm. we have 250,000 people a year that get out of military service. And I, I believe a lot of that is driven by by poor leadership. And that's that's why, you know, I really wanted to to write this book and give give that opportunity to, to tell those stories. Yeah. No, it's so true. And all those statistics you mentioned, I, I bring up in my book as well. And it's and it's sad. The 70 percent number is real and it's been consistent for for decades. Uh, and uh, the amount of people that are that really don't like their jobs. And it's really sad. So we've written, you know, as you say, thousands of books on leadership, yet we haven't really moved the needle as much. And uh, so my hope through my my writing and, and same sounds like what you're doing as well, is that it makes a difference. And that's why I have this podcast to try to make a difference. Uh, for the leaders that are listening in, that are entrepreneurs, their department heads, their leaders in their organization, and try to you know give them ideas and you know listening to people like you who've been doing it for four decades and you know uh, and you have uh, you have that experience. So uh, I'm thankful that there's folks like you that are writing these books that people can learn because um, I know when I was a young leader, I you know I didn't know much and it took a while to, to you know some of the stuff was through a lot of mistakes. You know, a lot of my experience was through you know making dumb mistakes as a young age uh, as a young leader. And uh, so having that you know having books like this really really do help just to see how it's done and you know the wisdom of experience. Right, you can't shortcut experience, and uh, and so these books really do help shortcut some of that to to be able to understand you know, that leadership, uh, yeah, learn, learn from people that have been leadership for a long time. So you mentioned leader, lead, lead yourself first. And that's something that I, I, I talk about all the time. And that is, um, if as a leader, you know, you have the burden of command on, on you at all times. And I always say that you have to be, you know, a physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally strong to be able to handle what, you know, all the storms that are come your way as a leader. Is that how you define lead yourself first? Or how do you define lead yourself first? Well, you know, we, we highlight this whole concept of lead, lead yourself first, but we really, we really get into detail of it in our book struggle. Well, but you know, our wellness model is based on four things, uh, mind, body, spirituality, and financial wellness, mm. all of which, all of which, you know, tend to take you, you know, put you on a good track or take you off a track easy. And, and, and that's really what, what wellness is all about. And I think when you're well in those four areas, you know, if you think about your mind, its ability to, to get up in the morning and really have control of your life, you're not living this proverbial life of the tail wagging the dog and, you know, just responding all day long to reacting all day long to other people's problems rather than having a plan and being able to manage those things. 
uh, fitness. I mean, I can't tell you how many uh, guys, both in and out of the Navy, that, that end up getting senior, that just start getting, you know, gaining a lot of weight. You know, part of that story is in, in my book. I did as, as a CEO. I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're eating lunches every day with people and, yeah. and, you know, the time to work out, you know, you're trying to manage this business and, you know, you, you start to get unwell physically and, and those physical ailments, I mean, they, they take you down, you know, very hard, mm. uh, spiritually, you know, in a, in a non-religious sense, I kind of, I talk about spirituality and in, in your relationships to others, your service to others and your character. And if those three things are, are faulty, you know, then, it's, it's just difficult. And then financially, you know, if you're, you know, even as a CEO, if you're spending all your money, you know, trying to show people that you're the CEO, um, uh, you can be in a lot of trouble. And I've seen it. I've seen some very successful small businesses get taken down by pure, uh, pure greed, mm. a lack of a lack of um, a lack of willingness to, you know, share the success and uh, to save for a rainy day. Yep. No, I agree. Yeah, you know, you see it all the time, and yeah, I'm 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 a CEO of our, my startup company. We were six years old, and I drive a pickup truck, so I'm not, right. <laughs> I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm just trying to get to work. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, one one of the you you've got these ten principles in the book, which I love, and they're easy to it, it, uh, and I love how the chapters are laid out. It's easy to fl- it it really flows really well. One of one of the things you talk about in your principles is, uh, and I want to talk about is. You say to create and clearly communicate your vision. Now, this seems really, really basic, right? But I can't tell you, I spent 22 years in corporate America, and this was a major failing in most leaders is they didn't, A, have a vision, and B, if they did, they didn't clearly communicate it on a regular basis. So if we had a vision, it was in some dusty binder or on some cheap Walmart frame in the lobby that nobody even looked at and cared about. So why is this idea of create and not only create, but to clearly communicate that vision on a regular basis, so important for leadership. Well, I think, you know, I always give the analogy of kind of, you know, your GPS in in your car, you know, you want to go somewhere that you don't really know where it's at. Um, You punch in these numbers and, you, you know, follow this kind of map to get there. And I think that, you know, people want to know where they're going. When you start to think about the fact that people don't like their jobs, uh, and, and by the way, I don't think that's true. I think what people don't like are the people that they work with. I think people, pe- you know, you, you can have a fairly miserable job. You see it all the time. Uh, 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 used to watch, you know, you know, Mike Rose, Dirty Jobs. Dirty Jobs, yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter what the job was, but, you know, <laughs> uh, you're working with great people. You know, you, you'll do anything and uh, disarm bombs, for God's sakes. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> you really do just about anything. Go underwater, submarine for six months. I mean, right. Right. All these things are, you know, with, with the right leadership, you can you can you can accomplish. But people want to know where they're going. And, and, and I don't think it's any simpler than that. And and you can't just say it once. Um, it's got to be repeated. And as you know, in a six years startup, um, you know, things change, too. Right. The, yeah. who, who knew five years ago, four years ago, COVID was going to happen. Right. It, yeah. All yeah. these things that that are, are externalities that we can't control that happen and then your vision tweaks and, you know, you, you may go a little bit different way. And, and if you make a change and the people don't know it and they think you're going one way and now you're going another way. I mean, all that stuff is confusing and it doesn't allow for people to coalesce around that mission and, and get up every day and work to achieve what the vision is. And that's, that's why I think it's got to be clear and it's got to be communicated and, and, and great organizations do that very well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's consistent. You consistently communicate it. And, and I also like to say, if you can, you know, get it down to four words that you can repeat on a regular basis that people can, uh, you know, when someone says, what's your vision, they they can spit out the four words because they, it makes sense. And it's been communicated enough where, you know, that is that is what what we're, we're here to do. And uh, the, the more concise, the better. So because I think sometimes, you know, well, at least in big companies I've worked with, there was, you know, paragraph after paragraph as to what the vision and mission was, but uh, nobody could tell you what it is. You know, right. it, it was like all the buzzwords and all the, you know, checking all the boxes, but it didn't really mean anything at the end of the day. There's so. a famous story. I think it was Ford Motor Company. And I don't know, somebody, Henry Ford or somebody was walking around the, the and I might have the, the, the company wrong, but somebody was walking around the floor, you know, of the, the, the production floor and there was a janitor there and he was sweeping up and, you know, Henry Ford said to him, you know, what, uh, you know, what's your job here? And he said, my job here is to make cars. <laughs> and, you know, he knew that, you know, his job was to, you know, sweep the floors and, and do the things that needed to be done, but he knew what the mission of that organization was and what he was there supporting. And, uh, and I think those are the stories that you really love as a CEO. You love to hear because everybody's in the mix, you know, regardless of what their job is, yep. they know why they're doing it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it was, you know, as a as my first factory, I was 32 years old and I got my first factory. And um, and, and and when I asked people what they did, they said, well, I I, I plate these parts. I, I machine these parts. I, I grind these parts. And I said, what do these parts do? And they went, we're not really sure. Yeah. And what I found out was that we had, you know, 140 employees that knew their job, but they didn't know the big picture and how they how their job contributed to the big picture. And it was interesting how we when we transitioned to where they understood the mission, they understood our vision, what what and what we actually did for the industry that we we kept the lights on, like we kept hospitals with power and, you know, and and elevators to going up and down and and, and, and hospitals and and uh, their their eyes lit up. They're like, oh. You know, I'm I'm keeping the lights on. You know, I'm not just plating a part. So their jobs meant more because they were they saw the vision or they saw what we were doing in the world, and they saw that they were making a difference versus just. And I think they came alive. You know, when you can when you can communicate your vision to the point where people get it and they're like, oh, I'm part of this bigger picture. I think that there's pride in the job as well too when the vision is clear. Well, there's a saying that, you know, humans want two things in their life, the opportunity to contribute and the opportunity to grow. Mm. And, you know, and I think as a leader, if you understand that, um, it can be a very powerful tool. And um, and that's that's really what that's all about. Right. Is it, once they know that that part is is, you know, allowing doctors to perform, you know, the most successful surgeries or whatever it might mm. be, it, it starts to they know that they're contributing and that means they have a purpose and, and all that stuff is what makes for, you know, a good human. Yeah. Yeah. It really is true. We want to, we want to make a difference. Um, so in the book you talked about, um, and I like this a lot and I'm interested in your take, you talked about create a culture of loyalty and satisfaction. So what does that look like in, in, in a good company? Well, you know, I, um, I went to Harvard Business School for an executive program when I was running my first company, and I took a class on, um, on customer service, customer care, and marketing, and all those types of things. And there was a professor that, that basically laid out this chart, and on one, it was an XY grid, and on one leg of the, of the chart on, on the x-axis was, was, um, was satisfaction, and, and on the other was loyalty. And, and she started plotting, you know, where do you want your customers to be? 
And after the class, you know, obviously you wanted to be high into the right. You wanted to be loyal and satisfied with whatever you're making. But after the class, I walked up to her and I said, you know, I, I really enjoyed that, that lecture. And I think that it really applies to your employees too, not just your customers. Mm. And she said, absolutely. She said, but I'm, te- I'm here teaching a, a customer class. And I said, well, I'm going to steal your, your, uh, your grid and I'm going to use it to plot my customer or my employees. And, and really that's what you want to do, right? If you think about, you know, employees who are very loyal to you, but they're not necessarily satisfied with their jobs. Um, I always call them friends, you know, like maybe somebody comes to work for you as a friend and just loves working for you, but doesn't really like what they're doing. Or on the other axis, you got somebody who could care less. They would jump ship for, you know, an extra thousand dollars a year or something, but they're, but they're extremely satisfied. Well, I think what that does as a leader is it puts us in this mindset of how, how do we have to manage those people? You know, what can we do, as I said a minute ago, contribute and grow? What can we do to get them to grow into this, to to this, this vision of, of, of being not only loyal to the organization, uh, but also satisfied that every day they can come to work and show up as, you know, the best version of themselves that day. And it's, and it, I assume it's the leader's role to help move people into the right quadrant, right? Through making sure they have, they're, they're in the right role. Part, part of leadership is okay. I got a great, I got a guy who's got, who's a problem child, but maybe it's because he's in the wrong role or she's in the wrong role. So get them into the right role where they're more satisfied, right? And and you create loyalty by being, you know, being a trustworthy, uh, well, the person of your word and you build loyalty towards you, do what you say you're going to do and you, you meet your commitments and you promise. So there's a loyalty that's that's formed over time, right? But it's the leader's job to move people in that in that. Two by uh, two by two matrix, right? Absolutely. It's a. Uh, it's you know. I tell everybody, you know, leadership's a verb. I mean, and, and that's your job is to get out there every day and and to do those things. And if you're not doing those and helping those people, especially those direct reports, and teaching them how to do that with the people that work for them, uh, if you're not doing that, then you know people just aren't going to grow, and then the stagnation leads to to less satisfaction, and 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 you know, then we start losing employees. And, you know, with the turnover rates in corporate America, and like I said, in the military, you know, I know that there's plenty of opportunity for better jobs. I mean, what's the difference, truthfully, you know, in working for one big defense contractor to another? Mm-hmm. You know, you're probably going to go from the same job to the same job and maybe even the same kind of contracts. And, you know, people do it for 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 reasons that aren't aren't real realistic and uh, and loyalty pays off. I've got a friend. I'll tell you a quick story. A friend of mine who was my first banker, second banker, um, who young guy right out of right out of college. We went to Eastern Carolina University and I was sitting I was having lunch with him one day and we were talking. And my dad had sat on the board of a lot of small community banks. And this guy who's still working for the bank that I was banking with, I said to him, you know, I said, you know, the guy before you had a really good thing here. He was going to probably be the president of that region. And then he jumped ship and went to a different bank. And, you know, now he's learning all over again. I said, my belief is that loyalty pays off. Well, anyway, that young man who's, you know, uh, now almost 20 years later is the president of the bank that he works for and the region that he lives in. And, uh, and and his loyalty has paid off. And I think that, you know, it's a two way street, as you, you said. I mean, the, the leader's got to be equally as loyal and and. and and do what he says he's going to do or she says he's going to do, but, but, but it does pay off at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. That's for sure. So we, um, we have just barely scratched the surface. This book is, you've got, you've got 10 principles in the book. 
it's it's it flows really well it's easy i think it's very um relatable i think it's very uh easy to follow for leaders to kind of go through this um so i really do encourage uh everyone who's listening to the podcast to uh to take a look at it. it's called lead well lead well 10 steps to successful and sustainable leadership um one thing we didn't touch on, I just questioned real quick. We didn't talk about sustainable. So I understand successful leadership. What do you mean by sustainable leadership? We, I failed to ask you that question. Well, I, you know, every day you pick, you pick up an article on leadership. I read one today on LinkedIn. And there's always a new way of, yeah, of, yeah. of doing or Or the people today need to be led differently than they were before. It's like, and I just, I mean, for lack of a better word, uh, I think it's bullshit. I mean, I think <laughs> there are these principles that will sustain time. And, and that's really what I wanted to show here was that there, there are, if you can get certain things right, you know, this book isn't this, it's a, it's a small book. It's 110 pages or so it's, and it's, you know, my goal was to try to make it simply accessible, simply as I could and accessible as I could. Um, and that's really what I what I hoped is that people would see that these principles, regardless of the generation you're leading. I mean, I lead this organization I lead today is small; it's 37 employees, and and half of them are millennials, and um, and they want the same things. <laughs> they want to yeah. contribute and they want to grow. And and I think that if you follow these ten principles, that it is sustainable, and and, and it'll it'll outlast any newfangled leadership traits that you know that hit the internet tomorrow. I love it. I love it. It's timeless. I love that. Um, so what's what's something we, we hadn't talked about that you might want to share with our listeners before we wrap this up? You know, I, I think we've we've touched on a lot. I think it's it's you know, take a look at the book, read the read the 10 steps. Um we'll we'll probably start, you know, advertising this more and more as as, as time goes on. I just I just hope that that people can take care of themselves because I think if if you can get to a place where you're well, uh, I, I don't think anything can stop can stop you. And 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 that's really what I what I hope for people that are listening is that you, you take these ideas and these concepts, start with yourself, and 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 I think the better character, the more ethical character we can we can get in a leadership roles, the the better off the people in this nation will be. And it's, I mean, this nation's in a funk right now, and and. Okay. And we need great leadership from the top all the way down. And, 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 and those are the important things that I think will sustain time. No, I agree. I agree. That's, that's great. So how can people find out more about you and this new book? Well, I, um, I'm pretty accessible. I'm on, I'm on all social media channels and happy to respond to anything. Um, I, you know, our website is Kenneth Bouldercrest. Uh, or, or my my email is kennetboldercrest.org. Uh, my website is boldercrest.org. And then we also have a, a website called strugglewell.com, which is where lead well or rest as well. So plenty of plenty of opportunity to get hold of me and, and uh, happy to answer any questions and have debates or whatever it is about this. I, I, I'm, the, I'm, I've, I've lived 40 years of, of good leaders and bad leaders. And, and I've, I've studied academically. I mean, every Every I've got five books sitting on my desk right now. Two of them are based on leadership. So uh, I, I'm, I'm always trying to learn to be a better version of myself. And I think that that's what that's what life's all about is trying to trying to gain as much wisdom and be the best version of yourself you can be. Excellent. I love it. 
Well, thank you, Ken, for coming on the show and sharing your experiences, your insight in this new book. I'm excited about it. Thanks, John. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk tonight. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.